anymore. They say I'm crazy. Well, so are you. Shackled hands, robots walking through the sand. Anymore? They say I'm crazy. Chains and blinders. Arm yourselves with the truth, and take a walk along the razor-sharp precipice of the outer edge. I want to talk. That's to right. Me. You're listening to the outer edge. Sorry, Mike. Jumped on to your okay. line there. I'm sorry. I jumped <laughs> onto yours. No, no, that's all right. So, oh, yeah. like I said, we're on the outer edge. <laughs> hey, that's you what gotta... it's live radio. What can we? That's say? right. That's that's the wonderful thing about live radio. And, and what we were talking about, um, we're going to be uh, featuring a lot of new music during the breaks and the bumpers here. So everybody stay tuned. Uh, coming into the show was a song, In the Days, by Demi Demery. I'm not sure if it was the Vile Billies or the Iron Bells, but it was one of his groups. Uh, but we're going to have a lot of really cool stuff um, going forward from this point with a lot of new music. So everybody just, uh, that's one of the things that makes us unique. Yeah, that's right. When we uh, when we get a chance, we're we're going to try to uh, uh, create a uh, a post uh, on our Facebook page, maybe even on our uh, um, the, the website, uh, theouteredgeradio.com website. That'll uh, show um, the different uh, bands and music that we'll be playing with every episode. That's right. And uh, yeah, that's something that we're working on right now. So that's, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I mean, we've got uh, some of the music that uh, that you have uh, found for us, Mike. is absolutely fantastic. So I mean, well, yeah, there's really... a lot of talented people out there. I mean, you know, and a lot of them are fans of the show. So you know, yeah. we we have guests on from time to time also that are not only are they researchers and writers and that type of thing, but they're also musicians. So that also comes into play, and. Uh, so there's going to be some old, older stuff that we've had all along, and there will be some new stuff. So uh, it's That's one of the things, right. like I said, you know, you know, a lot of places you go listen to uh, the topics we talk about, you hear a lot of sort of spacey music and real electronic and, you know, real moody music. No, you're going to hear rock and roll here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, if anybody plays the X-Files one more time, I'm going to plot. You know? <laughs> rock and roll. There you go. Well, let me uh, let, let's get right into it uh, tonight, Mike, because okay. uh, we've we've got a full lineup tonight. With us tonight, of course, is Mr. UFO Timothy Green Beckley. Tim, how you doing Yay. tonight? Yay! Oh, I'm I'm right here. I'm on third. I'm playing third base. I'm I'm right here. <laughs> All right, good. Uh, and I, yeah, I'm really I'm really excited about the show uh, uh, this evening. Got two of my best buddies in all of UFO research. And uh, they've all got some really exciting 
interesting, fascinating, provocative, controversial, enigmatic things to say. Well, now, who uh, uh, who did you bring on for us uh, uh, tonight uh, well, the, for this, this first this half evening, hour, Tim? Now, me, I'm the lowly Mr. UFO. But in the other corner, playing first base at the moment, is Dr. UFO. And I need a prescription. It's Pat, <laughs> Pat, Pat Marcatilio from uh, Trenton, New Jersey. And uh, hey. Pat is, uh, has put together... A, um, a very creative program that will be coming up on November 1st. Now, Pat has run this UFO group out of the Trenton area, uh, I don't know for how many years. It's got to be over 25 years and yep. probably over 50 uh, shows. We'll, we'll find out in just a moment. Uh, by far, it's the longest-running UFO program, lectures, series, seminar expo in the entire world and perhaps uh, anywhere in this solar system so uh, pat uh what is this the yes, 53rd con- is this the 53rd conference <clears throat> this is our 56th conference 56 how did how did how did the other three or four slip by me i must have won a few years ago a couple years uh, year ago wasn't it i did yes i yeah. i believe that was the one with uh, Ted Phillips and yep, right. um, and uh, uh, George Hansen. In fact, we just uh, recently posted uh, those two interviews. I did a, a couple of uh, videotaped interviews in the lobby there, and I just posted them uh, a month or so ago on YouTube. So if anybody wants to see that, the, the whole the two interviews run about the 55 minutes. You just got to go to YouTube and type in Mr. UFO's Secret Files. And there's about 10 or 11 uh, interviews up there now, and uh, that's uh, one of them. It's uh, George Hansen and Ted Phillips. So, Pat, how did you get in? Well, first of all, let's tell us a little bit about the conference. What is the date? It's, it's November 1st. Is that correct? Yes, November 1st. Okay. All right. And where is it going to be held this year? It's going to be at the um, Hilton Garden Inn on Route 130 outside of Trenton in Hamilton, New Jersey. And, and who... 800 okay. Route 130, Hamilton. Mm-hmm. And, and who, who, are the, who are the speakers coming up? Oh, man, we have some tremendous speakers. Jaime Malsan from Mexico is coming up, the, fellow, the famous TV uh, producer, and uh, Douglas Hemp, um, uh, Christopher O'Brien from the Four Corners area. Oh, yeah. 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 And Will Allen from Washington, D.C. Oh, he's got some uh, really interesting uh, photographs uh, that he's he uh, sure taken does. over the those years. The there. Yeah. yeah, those yeah. those are th- those are some really interesting uh, guests. Uh, I understand, actually, this is going to be Jaime uh, Musan's last uh, uh, public uh, appearance, uh, uh, at least for a while, that he's That's retiring right. from giving lectures. Now yeah. he's he's probably got the best collection of weird UFO video material, uh, real or unreal or fake or not. I mean, it's just some of the most fascinating stuff, uh, especially yep. when it yep. comes to UFOs over Mexico City. I mean, he's got entire fleets of craft coming over. He's got well, airplanes chasing stuff, and he's got yeah. aliens, aliens yeah. galore. More aliens. In his collection that I have in my closet, I swear to you. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. He's got 
We had him, uh, oh, geez, seven or eight years ago, yeah. and he gave us the best UFO evidence ever on film, and uh -huh. that was a two-hour uh, tremendous yeah. expose of UFO films, and it's fantastic. And then he gave us another two-hour talk on the best yeah. evidence for ETs ever, uh -huh. and that you know, was uh, mind-blowing. Yeah. You know, Pat, that's, what I, that, that's what I like about your, your conferences most of the others are really, really stuffy. Outside of the ones that I used to put uh, together, they usually ended up. They, they usually ended up into in, in brawls. But yours are the, 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 the <laughs> yours, yours are the best. Uh, yours are the best uh, eclectic series of, of people you managed to get together uh, and and give this uh, information out. Now, well, well, and you, plus you have plus you, you have a tremendous collection as well of all sorts of UFO posters and photos, and it travels with you everywhere you go. That's right. I have a UFO museum. Indeed, yep. indeed. Hey, so and I put it on get, exhibit. How did you get the title Doctor UFO? You know, I've known you for so many years, and we've hung out uh, together and uh, uh, sold uh, books and magazines out of the back of your station wagon. <laughs> and, <laughs> Good old days, the bookmobile. Yeah, bookmobile. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. How did how did how did, did you have a sighting? Or how did how did you become? No, I, actually, I started uh, a, I started meetings at the uh, local library, and it grew and grew. And uh, in 1984, we started in September, and this mm -hmm. is our 30th year of monthly meetings at the library in Hamilton Township, outside of Trenton. But so, did you did you just wake up one morning and say, "I want to be a UFO researcher"? No, no, no. Um, let me finish with the first part. Yes. Okay. And, uh, what happened was, um, uh, I went to the library. Well, you asked me, uh, how, yeah. What was your question? The first one. Oh, how did you get to be into the? Oh, Doctor UFO. Right. Yeah, I, yeah. My meetings. My meetings. And uh, I was um, one of the top researchers in abductions because my girl was uh, abducted many, many yeah. hundreds of times. And um, the, my group actually gave me the title Dr. UFO because I was working with medical reports and Whitley Strieber had me get uh, my abductees from my group to go up to New York with him and go through the MRI uh, people and find out where the implants are in my ETs. And we found out that the um, MR, the um, implants were right in the center of one of their brains and, their, and in the middle of their head. And the other one was behind, about two inches behind her nose, right about a, an inch below her eye. So uh, we had all these um, CAT scans and medical reports and MRI scans showing the anomalies. And the doctors actually put arrows to the anomalies on the MRI scans and the x-rays and the CAT scans that we made. So they gave me the title Dr. UFO, and um, they told me to go get a license plate. They took up a collection and gave me the money to buy a license plate with no DR UFO. <laughs> and I've had it ever since on my car. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. Now, yeah, well, this that, that, the, the lady, the lady that you're talking about is, of course, Alice. I, I know her yeah. as uh, as well. What right. sort of UFO uh, experiences did she have? Um, she, we used to uh, live in live together, and she would leave um, 
at uh, 11 o'clock in the morning to go visit her kids in, in uh, Cape May, from Trenton to Cape May. It took about oh, yeah. two hours. And um, she would leave there about 11 o'clock at night and then get home around 1 or so. But uh, in the meantime, she sometimes comes coming home around 2, 30, 3 o'clock, and even 4 o'clock. And I, I'm wondering, what the hell's going on, you know? So here, uh, ETs were picking her up around Tuckahoe area, and uh, they were hiding in the lake down there, or in an um, inlet there near the bridge, and uh, abducting her there. And uh, then we found out that uh, through Dr. David M. Jacobs that she was being um, um, taken on board a ship uh, like every week or so. And uh, they would take uh, eggs from her and give her a medical and everything, make sure she's in good condition and everything. And there'd be two hours of missing time, three hours of missing time. So... That's how I, so then um, Whitley Strieber, of course, uh, heard about it and uh, heard about my group, and uh, I had several uh, abductees in my group, and he wanted me to go up with him to the MRI, con uh, and so that's what happened. Uh, we I knew several of them were abductees, and they found the implants in their head, you know, in their body or in their brain, and... Um, we have the MRIs and the CAT scans. I still have them here. So that's how, part how, of my museum. You, yeah. How did you convince the doctors to do this? I didn't. Um, Whitley Streeper did. Um, he took several of his people in and with me and uh, my, my um, girls, and uh, <clears throat> they actually worked with Whitley and uh, had done several others with Whitley previously, and they even did him did Whitley himself because he was abducted several many yeah. times mm -hmm. in the hunting lodge up in New York State. So he didn't have to convince him. He well, the, what happened was the doctors would take the girls in and ask you know consult with them uh, consultation and say where are you getting your strange. Uh, where are you getting, your, how do you know where your implant is? And the girls would tell them, well, look, uh, like I'm doing the dishes and um, thinking about what I'm going to have for supper, and uh, all of a sudden I get this um, weird uh, thought to go to the uh, picture window in the living room, and there I'd go wipe my hands, go over there and wipe and uh, see a UFO over the treetops, and they would get a second she would get a second command to go down into her car and drive to this location, and she'd start driving, and here they would abduct her over there. So um, they said, well, where are you getting this strange thoughts? So one of them pointed uh, right behind her nose. That was Alice, about an inch in. And the doctor said, okay, we'll take you in and see if, you know, if we can find anything. And here this big U-shaped area showed up on the, behind her nose, about an inch in behind her huh. face. So, um, and the other girl said right here, and she, with her two hands, she pointed right to the middle of her brain. And uh, when they took her in, uh, they found this um, little BB-sized thing in the, right in the center of her head, right under her brain, or in the middle. It was now, so, so was was it close to the, basically, like to, to her brain stem? 
it was right under the brain, right in the middle of her head. Hmm. And the doctors uh, couldn't operate because it would it would kill the uh, patient. They couldn't did, get it out. Did, did it? Does it cause her uh, any discomfort? Um, it buzzes when they get the thoughts sometimes, uh-huh. and uh, they know that they're being um, woken up, so to speak. Mm. Now, so who, can, they, can they? I'm sorry, Tim. I was just going to ask if they could tell anything yeah. about this object. I mean, can they tell what it's made out of, or if it, if no, it has it's still, signals, or, or any? You know, is there anything that they can tell at all? No. Um, they don't, but um, we have a, a, another Dr. Roger Lear who uh, has taken out many um, implants in uh, abducted people out west, and uh, he's pretty famous now. I'm sure you heard of him, haven't you? Yeah, some yes, some, yeah. yeah. Uh, some I some of them did, are. Didn't Roger Lear pass away? Some are biological, some are metal. Some did, are biological. Roger... <laughs> Go ahead. No, I was going to say, didn't Roger Lear uh, pass away not too long ago? Um, geez, I'm yes, not sure. He, yeah, yeah, he did about, uh, I think, six or seven months ago. Yeah, really? that's what I was thinking. Yeah, that's, that's too bad. In fact, yeah. ironically, I, ironically, he was uh, having an operation at the time. Uh, oh, jeez. Yeah. Uh, Pat, wow. when, when you're saying that some of them are metal and some are biological, yes. what, what do you mean exactly by biological? Uh, more lifelike instead of metallic. And uh, there's hairs all around them, and they sort of uh, grip onto nerve endings, and um, mm. uh, they, you know, they hold on to, uh, in right. this manner, they hold on to what's in, you know, what they're around. Okay, so they have some sort of fibers coming off of them. Yes, yes. Well, you know what that reminds me of is this Morgellons or yeah, more gallons. Yeah, more gallons. Yeah. 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 yeah, isn't that wild? Oh my God, that is scary. Mm. More gallons disease. Mm. All the fibers coming out of their open sores. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, I wonder if that, I wonder if the two things are are connected in some way. It, that sure sounds extraterrestrial to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's not, it's not human. That's for damn sure. It's it's not human technology. You now that's where it comes from. Extraterrestrials, just a guess, like anything else. So, yeah, 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 pretty weird. So, that is Pat, the what, what, I ever what, heard. Is, what is the overall purpose of their? Do they have an official program? Is this all one group that we're dealing uh, with? Is it like the East Coast, uh, you know, brigade of aliens, or <laughs> or what what, what? what what what's up here? I mean, like, can we make any definite? Uh, um, uh, conclusion to this. Now, on the uh, the next part of the show, we have Peter Robbins, and of course uh, his sister, um, the uh, famous uh, punk rock uh, performer uh, Helen Wheels, uh, had an abduction experience. Uh, they both uh, had a, a sighting, and uh, uh, she went into the craft. This is back when they were uh, in their early teens. So we're going to hear about that. Uh, but is there an overall, I mean, it seems like all this stuff is so very confusing, you know, like under hypnosis, you get a lot of different, uh, agendas here. You got to get a, a lot of different, uh, extraterrestrials and ultra terrestrials and interdimensional uh, travelers and maybe a few guys waving here from the future. What the heck is this all yeah. about? It just seems so bizarre. 
that sounds like about the whole conglomerate of everything. Um, uh, they're coming back from the future. Uh, from uh, they are us from the future. Uh, they're ETs from other solar systems. Uh, it could even be the devil himself uh, here and there, uh, mm-hmm. portraying. Um, you know, yeah, yep. he can make himself look like anything. That's right. That's yeah, true. Yeah, to shapeshifters and and, and uh, shapeshifters and tricksters and um, Jim right. Mosley and anything else that you can do. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Jim Mosley, poor Jim. Ah, <laughs> uh, indeed, yes, yes. Uh, I, I've, heard, I've heard this. I heard there's a guy in Seattle that, that's actually channeling Mothman on a regular basis now. <laughs> oh, God, I don't believe it. That's true. That's true. Oh, and he's, he's helping him. He's helping him scan old books to publish them. Uh, that's, that's right. That's what I, I, hear, I, hear, yeah. I hear he puts his name uh, on the covers and uh, he becomes does, the editor. Uh, uh, well, yeah. Mothman should get a lot of Mothman should get a lot of uh, credits, but you know. I was born and raised, of course, in New Jersey, and uh, Pat's been there. I know. Were you born in New Jersey, Pat? Yeah, Trenton. Yep. Yeah, oh, you were. Okay. Well, yes. we've got we've got our own Mothman down there. In fact, we we've had uh, the uh, Jersey Devil uh, a Jersey lot longer Devil. than Mothman has been around, right? Yeah, from the what 1600s? Oh, I don't. Yeah, going back a long, long way. You know, in fact, I thought that I actually saw the Jersey Devil. Now I know this is oh, bizarre. My God. Well, I, I know this is bizarre, but one day um, my friend Penny and I uh, were driving uh, along the highway down through the Pine Barrens, and that's a pretty desolate area, especially at night. I mean, anything could come out of anywhere and, and uh, you know put a, something on your car and just suck you up, and nobody would ever know what the heck uh, happened <laughs> that's to you. True. And, and and we both thought we caught the attention of something that was in the um, in the bushes. Uh, uh, on the uh, uh, Medina, is that what it's called? The, the middle of the highway, you know, that separates the one lane. Oh, the medium, yeah. Yeah, okay. And um, I don't know. We both uh, kind of looked at each other and and just wondered uh, what it was. You know, if I had seen it, well, I would think wow. it was just, uh, you know, a nighttime uh, vision or something because the light does play tricks on you. But uh, uh, we were driving right through that uh, area. So I don't know. Maybe it was the Jersey uh, Devil. He certainly could have come over and said hi. I mean, I kind of feel insulted, you know. It's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he could have, he could have ridden on the uh, roof of the car there for a little while at least. You know, he could have, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's he been, we could have, we could have taken him down to the conference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Everybody had him, had him, had him, sta- had him stand in front of the hotel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tim. But you know, I also hey, you know, it's it's actually UFO conferences on the East Coast are pretty darn rare. If it wasn't for Pat. Uh, there wouldn't be too much activity, but uh, the following week, now yours is November uh, 1st, and the following week, November 8th, uh, John Ventry, uh, he runs the um, the MUFON uh, PA down in Pittsburgh. In he's having a, he's right. having a show. He's having a show with uh, Nick Redford, and uh, there's some uh, a group of panel, I believe it is, that are talking about the UFO and uh, Bigfoot uh, connection. And uh-huh. if anybody wants information on that, we don't have him on as a guest. Maybe we might have him on in the future because I know he's written uh, uh, some books on, I think, like unknown history or little-known facts of history. Um, they can get information on that for those who live down in the Pittsburgh area. Uh, just go mm-hmm. and Google MUFONPA.com, and his okay. program is up there, too. That's another one-day event, and it's the um, the following uh, weekend. So anybody living in the uh, the 
Jersey, Pennsylvania area, you've got a lot of activity go on there. Don't don't wow. waste it. Go yeah. out and see. Go out and see and meet all meet and greet all these uh, uh, people that you've heard on our show and uh, coast to coast and the Paracast and uh, speaking of strange and wherever else and, and say hello and tell them you you heard them on the outer edge. Hey, so Pat, I know we don't have too much time, but how okay. many speakers? How, how many speakers do you figure you've had over the years? Oh God, over the years, um, all together. Oh, maybe five hundred, maybe oh, a thousand. My goodness. Uh-huh. Yeah, be- because we used to have. You know, I used to have two, three day conferences. You did, and, yes, uh, yes, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, we had we had a lot, you know, all the famous people, um, Bill Cooper and um, the Matrix fella, uh, uh-huh. uh, Val Valerian, yeah, yeah, Matrix Val Valerian, yeah. um, uh-huh. and Doctor so Puharic, Doctor Puharic, right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so they can find out uh, if they go to www.njufoc.com, find out all about our conference. <laughs> Can, can you think of any? Of the, can you uh, can you think of any of the highlights? Uh, Hami Malsan is going to be a tremendous yeah. speaker. He's going to speak twice. Um, the best evidence ever on UFOs and the best evidence ever on ETs. Douglas Hamp is going to be speaking. Christopher O'Brien is. Uh, yeah, Chris is a buddy of ours. Sure. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, stalking. Stalk, stalking. Well, the herd. Uh, yep. And Will Allen, um, my buddy from Washington, D.C., dcufo.com. He's really uh, uh, a famous photographer down there. And um, he's working with the Discovery Channel right now. And we have our monthly meetings, too, at the library. Well, you know, I I did promise promise that I may come down and um, speak for the the group. I've never, you know, in all these years... I've never really had the opportunity to do that, and um, my health has not been all that great, of course. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I do want to do that. I, since I actually have a, a, a theme now, I mean, before I would go on and I'd talk about my UFO sightings and all, but I'm very much into synchronicities and how they relate to a UFO and how they are actually being controlled by somebody. You know, Charles Fort said that we were merely a chess on a big um, cosmic uh, checkerboard. And I think, think, yeah, I think that's probably true, that there is somebody out there or something out there who is actually planting uh, information in front of us, maybe telling us something about our future. It it is some sort of intelligent design. I don't know whether it's aliens or time travelers or interdimensional, you know, how can you separate? How can you separate the group? You know, they all they right, all wear right. the same they all wear the same uniforms and insignia. So that gets little kind of gray good. guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Have you ever Have you ever had personally had a um, an ET experience? I've never had an ET experience. I've seen UFOs about twenty two times in my life, but. Um, I've got quite a few people that have had the ET experiences coming to my meetings, uh-huh. monthly meetings. Yeah. What What's um, the yeah. best sighting you've ever had? Uh, well, okay. Um, 
I saw this uh, satellite coming across the sky, real big, beautiful, white, bluish white light, real bright, coming across the sky. I called my wife out to uh, watch it with me, and we're watching it for about five minutes, and it took like ten minutes to go across the sky. And um, it came right up over top of us about five minutes, and finally uh, we're watching it right over our heads, and it takes a right-hand turn and goes, Pew! And it's gone in a split second. It took five minutes to get from the horizon up to over our heads. And then it split second, it took a right-hand turn, it was gone. Like, we couldn't believe it. I said, holy smokes, that was no satellite. What the hell was that? Well, you know, of course, New <laughs> Jersey... Never seen anything like that? Of course, well, you know, New Jersey has had a, a, a great many sightings, and some of them... Pretty uh, uh, fa fabulous, pretty fantastic. Now, nothing that I can recall actually in recent uh, times. But uh, uh, mm -hmm. do you remember uh, Wanakee Reservoir? They they've oh, always uh, shown a particular uh, they've always shown a yeah. particular interest in bodies of water. Now, this goes back right. to the 1960s. I know I wrote it up for uh, uh, Fate magazine, but the UFO actually came over the reservoir and shot down. Uh, some sort of beam or, or ray, and uh, put a hole in the uh, the ice, which was pretty thick. And the right. uh, the That's object the object came over the object came over for uh, several nights in a row. And the security yep. guards who were walking around the rim of the reservoir, they were stationed there, uh, were among those who actually even uh, watched this through binoculars. And yep. then a, a lesser known sighting uh, air incident took place at the Oradell, New Jersey reservoir where these things were actually, for a period of, uh, I don't know, a couple of weeks or a month, were actually seen going in and out of the Oradell Reservoir. Got, that got very, very little uh, publicity, wow. but there there have been many, many sightings. Of course, Howard Menger uh, was uh, uh, from Highbridge, and he was the, one of the most uh, famous uh, uh, contactees, uh, certainly one of the, yeah. the few on the, on the East Coast. Well, he claims that these things were uh, actually landing uh, in the uh, apple orchard, uh, behind his uh, home, and he was going out and photographing him and taking a uh, little uh, eight millimeter and sixty millimeter uh, uh, pictures, pictures of, right, yeah, yeah, right. of, of these uh, objects. Of and and he yeah. was, of course, I met Howard quite a few uh, times, and he was even working on his own uh, kind of free energy or, or flight yeah, device. They gave him that was free yeah. energy information. Yeah, yeah, they did indeed. In fact, now he claims that uh, the object uh, actually took off. Yeah, the object actually took off and, and, and flew into Pennsylvania, just shot away, and the FBI came and visited, visited him a couple of days later and wanted to know what in the heck was, uh, you know, going on, what was the technology behind this, and why did he think that he had the right to, shoot, you know, send this thing up on, a, on an unescorted flight? <laughs> huh. Wow, unescorted <laughs> Yeah. Uh, oh, gentlemen, uh, unfortunately, we're going to have to uh, um, uh, stop now. We are coming up on our first break here. So, uh, uh, okay. Pat, thank you, thank you very much for uh, being right. our guest thank in you, the first Tim. part of the program. Hey, it was it, it was good to get you on and uh, yeah. corner you and get some of this information. And uh, like I say, I want my prescription filled. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Tim. All right, I'll see you soon, Pat. And, and you. And, and and you be well, man. You be well. Okay. Thank you very All much, Tim. All right. Well, thank you. Much. Thanks, Pat. And okay, don't forget well, that's no November first for the big show down in Trenton. Yes. And uh, uh, Tim, what uh, uh, what's the website uh, that uh, people can get more information? Well, on? I, I would just Google offhand? it. The uh, 
I it, would just Google would be, it, the um, Trenton UFO Conference, yeah. It would be New Jersey UFO, yeah. NJUFOC.com. Okay, and, and for our listeners, you can also go to our website at theouteredgeradio.com, and uh, under the banner for this particular program, you can uh, um, find a link to that. Uh, all right, so guys, let's, uh, let's go ahead and go to our, fir- our, our, our first break here, and when we come back, Tim, who are we going to have with us? Well, we're going to have my best buddy of all time, Peter Robbins. Now, Larry Warren was supposed to be uh, with us this evening uh, from uh, England, but um, there was some, uh, pro- you know, situation that came up, and so he couldn't make it. And um, uh, Peter offered to uh, uh, come aboard, and of course, the two of them have uh, uh, written on the Bentwaters uh, incident. And um, I've got some interesting things I want to know about uh, Peter, and I've known him for a long time, uh, but there's still things that uh, he needs to answer. All right, great. Well, let's go ahead and go to our break. When we come back, we'll have uh, Peter Robbins next on The Outer About the implementation of the Mark of the Beast. I spoke to you about that, I think, two weeks ago. We addressed Revelation chapter 13, verses 16, 17, and 18. And he calls it all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hands, or in their foreheads, that no man might buy or sell, saying he had the mark or the name or the number of the beast. Here is wisdom. Let him that have understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is six hundred three score and six. They said Halloween 2012, just about to share some healthy slices, cross the juggles of veins before it fell, pull back the veil, that's where it gets thin, feel that knife along the side of his ribs, then crawl inside his skin, wearing an asshole, non-believer like a bathrobe, splash foes with acid, scar face, reversal speech in his verse, if you wanna hear Satan, when we speaking back, we're sharpening up the swords and battle axes, darkening up the skies on the doomed planet as it spins off its axis, let the trumpets go on and blow, as the earthquakes and the dirt shakes down below. Below the ground splits and starts steaming UFOs coming through them stargates And earth gets flooded by abominations Revelations try to tell the people battle with the God's patience Prophesied vision what they were seeing You gonna live on your knees or die on your feet for what you believe in huh? Proverbs 27, 12 says a wise man foresees trouble coming And takes refuge But the simple pass on and are punished They're not punished in a punitive way I'm thinking that I can be waking up early today. I'm thinking the early birds the first to get up and they get a taste. I'm thinking it's strange, a little bit different now the time and it's changed. Cause nowadays it's sending the word to deliver a bird to my place. But first name is what I've been stuck with since an earlier age. Never did give me a nickname, but get it, I'm flipping the page. Just give it a minute and I'ma be living up in a particular place. But the living is similar to the religion that tell me I gotta quit living to get in the gates. Man, I could be tripping, but lately living with demons. Sleep 33, sun is sleeping. I'm wide awake, out here breathing. I'm shaking like it was freezing. Prayed to the one to believe in. Not even thinking the one to believe in could be the one peeping up into my window this you wouldn't believe it if you knew what I believed in this food telekinesis genetic infected feature. Roswell, UFOs, flying saucers, alien abduction. 
Are we alone? Information regarding this and many other questions about the unknown are only a click away at www.theufostore.com. Theufostore.com offers hundreds of DVDs about UFOs, aliens, crop circles, conspiracies, Bigfoot, suppressed science, ancient mysteries. Log on to www.theufostore.com and request a free UFO store catalog. Theufostore.com, the largest selection of UFO products on the internet. Now you can share the topics that drive the discussions of your favorite talk shows with TalkStream Live's topic-driven talk radio. List and promote real-time talk radio topics or post the topics that you want to hear. Hot topics are tweeted and retweeted and include simple click-to-listen audio links. The future of talk radio is topic-driven talk radio. Available now at TalkStreamLive.com. All systems are functional. And get a pass the rain. Jackal, the, the new king of radio. This is the Oz Man, one of the voices in the Jackal's head. Are we alone in the universe? Now, I'm a voice of the Jackal's head. But if is there life after death? I'm Nick Pope, and now I'm a voice inside the Jackal's head. Is the government keeping secrets from us? This is Stephen Bassett, and uh, I am now a voice inside the Jackal's head. Will the Cubs ever win the World <laughs> Series? I am now a voice inside the Jackal's head. And that was Lloyd Pye. And who the hell are these voices inside my head? Listen live on the Jackal's head and find out. <laughs> Put a team of professional consultants behind your home or business computer with Key Information Solutions. Providing solutions to your internet and computing needs while keeping you on the cutting edge of technology. Preventative maintenance and networking support. Hardware and custom built computers. Let Key Information Solutions be your personal tech staff for your home or office with affordable hourly, monthly, or annual rates to fit anyone's budget. Call Key Information Solutions now. 954-973-3374 That's 954-973-3374 Or visit keyinformation.com To the fray here. I want to give out a call in <laughs> number 786 245 8127. 
786-245-8127. Call in, join the conversation, ask a question, maybe even uh, get boot and hissed. You know, you, you never know. Uh, but anyway, you can find us at uh, Facebook at The Outer Edge Radio, facebook.com slash The Outer Edge Radio, or you can just be right here at our site, which obviously you must be listening to, and uh, go to the chat room there. So those are three options that you have. Choose wisely. And now... Tim and I are here with Tim Beckley, of course, and our new guest for the second part of the show, Peter Robbins. Peter, how are you doing? Good, 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 good. And where are you calling from tonight, or where are we calling you from at? Where are you located? In the woods, about seven miles outside of beautiful Ithaca, New York, and almost dead center of the state. Oh, okay. Nice and quiet up there, I take it. Ridiculously quiet. And <laughs> has, has it started getting a little cooler now? Oh, yes. <laughs> the leaves are changing, and even though I've been up here for some years, I will always be a New Yorker, um, and so the novelty is still overwhelming of having wild animals on the lawn and uh, all kinds of cool <laughs> stuff like that. And, 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 and an, an occasional alien or two as well. I was about to say, you're, you're, not, you're not renting uh, Whitley's cabin, are you? No, no. That's in another part of the state. Thank you very much. <laughs> but, you know, actually, actually, Peter, I I met you in the the city. Of course, you used to live here, and uh, your wonderful uh, sister uh, uh, Helen Wheels was also yes. a uh, uh, a friend. We ate uh, Chinese food at her house a couple of times, her apartment, and oh, uh, awesome! And had a had a great uh, time, and of course, uh, uh, petted her pet snake, and it was all a wonderful. Uh, <laughs> oh, thing. that was back in the day. You're talking about Lilith, the ten uh, foot oh. uh, uh, boa constrictor, a very lovely snake. Now, so that, yeah, uh, right, it was a boa. Yeah. Now, uh, uh, Peter, why, why don't you start out? Well, let's. Uh, I mean, we all know that you're associated with Larry Warren and Bent Waters, and we'll get into that. I do want to cover maybe a little bit different territory than. Uh, has been on some of the other uh, shows. Sure. Um, but there are probably a lot of uh, people, listeners um, uh, there in the Internet and radio land, who are n- not that familiar. We, we know you, you speak at a, uh, 100 lectures a season, and uh, uh, you've written a, a best-selling uh, uh, book, East of uh, the Gate there. Uh, but tell us how you got all involved in this. I know you had a sighting with Helen when you were quite young. Yes, in fact, uh, one of the best interviews that anybody has ever done on that was um, Tim Beckley, uh, who <laughs> was very dear friends uh, with yeah. Helen, and uh, we were able to wrangle a, an Indian dinner out of uh, the budget of uh, our, our Inner light, yes, corporate yes. masters at uh, yeah. UFO Magazine and a couple of beers, and um, it was just a really soulful interview. Um, yeah, well, that that one that one is up on YouTube as well. It missed the yeah. UFO secret files. Yeah, and um, essentially, Helen and I had had a profound daylight sighting when we were kids, um, growing up um, in Nassau County, about thirty miles east of where you are right now. And um, she was twelve; I was just fourteen. Um, Her experience of it was very different than mine, um, in part because it was an abduction experience. For me, it was a sighting, but she never forgot it. And still being on the cusp of childhood, when she'd reflect back on it over the years, as she told me many years later when we finally discussed it after a hiatus of more than 14 years, that whatever else was associated with it, it always made her feel special. And for me, at 14, 
all I I was cons- I was just you know your normal raging mass of hormones and the nerdiest nerd in Nerdville, and all I could think of was I I intuited enough from the adult world to know that they thought that this subject was not authentic was not serious. Um, I had had no interest in it, and I was aware that um, there was a ridicule factor attached. And being um, the shortest guy in my class and not being into sports and being much more interested in painting and drawing and collecting bugs and rocks and reading and uh, cooking and all kinds of stuff like that, I, I knew that there was this thing that I was getting very, very, very interested in called sex and that girls being what they are, if, if any girl in, in my school ever heard that I thought that I had seen flying saucers like in the movies, this whole sex thing would never be open to me. And so <laughs> I'm only half joking. Um, I, <laughs> I really did my best to put it out of my mind and get on with my life. And Helen asked me that afternoon if I wanted to talk about what we had seen, and I said no. And many years later, as a, a young painter um, with a great loft in Chinatown, teaching at my alma mater, the School of Visual Arts on East 23rd Street, starting to show my work, this memory came roaring back into my consciousness. I could give you reasons why I think it happened then. The main thing is that I guess I was ready to deal with it, and it was shattering to me. I, I don't think I had ever even heard the phrase, um, repressed memory um, and I had a particularly happy childhood I think uh, as I've compared notes with friends over the decades and um, this memory was very troubling to me and Well Peter, what was, was this back before uh, Betty and Barney Hill? No um, although, wait a minute um, I take that back we're, we were young, it was um, 1961 as near as we could figure so it was right around the time of the Hills experience, probably some months earlier. And you may recall that their event did not become a, a major international public uh, no. event until 65 or so. That's, cor- that's correct. So there's little chance that you could have uh, heard of that on the news or anything else like that. Yeah, yeah. Years, years later, in the 80s, um, Phil Class accused Helen and I of uh, having seen some coverage on it in the special issue of, of uh, Life magazine and that we made this thing up to feel special. Uh, I think warm, fuzzy uh-huh. thoughts about Phil all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and ultimately, I mean, I sat there in my loft absolutely shattered and uh, collected myself and called Helen. I was down in East Chinatown. She was on East 6th Street uh, in the East Village uh, a mile or so north. And I asked her if it was a good time to talk and basically said I've remembered something from childhood. And I'm concerned that if I tell you what I remember... Specifically, you'll say yes or no, and I won't know for sure whether or not you really remember it. I, I, you know, it, so I set the scene for her, and I talked about the weather that day. We were where we were standing on the front lawn, uh, about the time it was, and she cut me off mid-sentence and said, "Stop! I know what you're talking about," and proceeded to tell me what I remembered seeing, which was nothing short of five silvery white disc-shaped objects in a military-type V 
formation um, that had come in at a very high rate of speed, caught my peripheral vision, hung over the neighbor's house across the street, and were close enough that both of us could easily see regular detailing around the edges, which we could only read in, in reflecting on the memory um, the way that you would windows on an airliner at you know uh, an altitude where you could observe that. And I, I remember having what I'll call a, a very split response, essentially, oh, my God, they're real, and oh, my God, they're real. And then she said, but there's more. And then she proceeded to tell me, even in the same words that I've now heard, I'm sure, a number of hundreds of times over the decades, especially in the years I, I worked uh, as Bud Hopkins' assistant and interfaced with so many hundreds of people that seem to have had these experiences, archetypical abduction-related memories, which only made me feel in that moment, and this is now 1975 or so, that, my God, my sister's gone crazy. And then I caught myself and had to admit that, oh, three seconds ago when you, you were discussing the, the five flying saucers over the Parker's house, she was saying... And my sister was not a liar, and we were particularly close and um, had each other's backs for uh, her whole life. And in, to say that my life changed overnight is really um, an inappropriate use of the catchphrase. My life changed in about 90 seconds, and I became quite obsessed with this subject. And my career trolley jumped the tracks that afternoon. I continued to paint and draw and teach painting at visual arts and show my work, but a lot of the heart had gone out of it, and I resented the hell out of it, Tim, I'll tell you. I really resented the fact that something had intruded on my life that was more important. And here I am all these years later, and wealthy beyond words, having uh, been a ufologist all these years. Yeah, it's a tremendous uh, career opportunity. <laughs> Just the phrase I would have chosen, Tim. <laughs> Well, well, Peter. Now you, you were doing you were doing all this artwork and painting and all. Did anything ever creep into the uh, artwork that might have been UFO related? Oh, I, I would say creep is an understatement. Um, the next day, I simply stopped doing what I had been doing, which were I thought very um, thoughtful, intellectual renderings of shards of Mayan pottery or watercolor of the pyramids or a, uh, a drawing of Giza, or um, a, a view of, of Stonehenge, uh, you know, um, and sometimes superimposing political images on it, like um, a schematic of Stonehenge with this beautiful little silk weaving of Stalin that I'd picked up in Chinatown and a, a giant red cross, you know, line well, drawn through it. You know, I, I guess maybe a lot of our listeners don't realize that you, you've traveled the world. I mean, you and I have sat yeah. here and, and talked. Uh, you were yeah. even in Afghanistan, right? Oh, yeah, twice. Uh, yeah. You, you have some uh, amazing substance stories. Uh, I mean, yeah. you just got some great, great stories. And, uh, I do. <laughs> yeah, you, indeed, uh, it's a, a shame that uh, we don't have five hours, because I know you, you, you've got enough material. Well, to, uh, you know, yeah. if you send me another one of those big checks, you can have me back as a guest. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, who, who, who even uses checks anymore? <laughs> oh, yeah, right. My PayPal account. Your I'm PayPal account. Yeah, yeah. I pay and, my uh, writers and all by PayPal. Right. But, yeah, the, Tim, the yeah. next day I started yeah. drawing ellipses and discs and UFOs. And 
the damnedest thing, looking back on it now and thinking how our destinies can change in a moment, some months before that, um, a very up-and-coming and very savvy young art dealer who, who I had known socially uh, some time before that had come to my studio to look at my work and was interested enough to schedule an appointment to return six months hence. And when she did return a few months after this uh, revelation had hit me, I was immersed in the world of discs and saucers wow. and ellipses. And I, I was so out of contact on a certain level with how this might on impact on her professionally um, that it was, it, it, it was incredibly embarrassing um, to see her reaction. In retrospect, um, she was decidedly uncomfortable. Oh with this turn of events, and um, backed off uh, and said words to the effect, um, I, it seems that something has happened since I saw you last, and I have to tell you, I, I don't understand what this is about. I, 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 I'm not as interested in this work, and it, I'm, frankly, I'm not very comfortable with it, so good luck to you in the future, and <laughs> off she went. And Did she that, turned out to be an abductee later on? No, no, no. She turned out to be a woman named Mary Boone, who went on to become one of the most successful art dealers in the world. Oh. Oh. And I'm not kidding. Um, anybody that wants to Google her name, she's a smart, yeah. nice, interesting woman. And, you know, I could have told her, but I thought, no, why even begin? Yeah, bother. Oh, my gosh. Um, so, yeah, um, uh, and... That is how I got involved, literally overnight. And and when was your? I mean, how did you make it from an observer to uh, working for Dr. Hopkins and also being one of the um, best known uh, platform speakers on the subject? Who has traveled and given lectures uh, just about everywhere that uh, UFO lectures are given? Well, um, uh, Bud wasn't didn't have a doctorate. He was a painter. Uh, like I uh, was and may well return to at some point in the future. Um, what had happened was I, I started <clears throat> to look for information on it. This was certainly well before our uh, Internet. And so I started to haunt my favorite used bookstores and start to pick up UFO books and oh, read them. Why don't you describe what a bookstore is? Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, kids, yeah, exactly. You remember that area, Tim, uh, down um, on 4th Avenue? 4th Avenue, uh, yeah. Well, you know, there's actually... Well, of course, the Strand, the Strand is still there. They, oh, it's the they, only they one. Do, yeah, well, you know, they seem to have an amazing amount of business, which just goes yeah, to show you... Yeah, it, it, which just goes to show you people are interested in browsing. Yeah. I know I've bought a few uh, uh, books in there over the uh, years, although I was kind of disappointed. I, uh, you know, uh, look for used and rare occult and UFO type of books to, yeah. to reprint them, you know, that are in public domain. So they told me in the store, oh, we have a collection of rare occult books upstairs. They actually have an office, you know, right next door <laughs> in the office, uh, the building yeah. there. So yeah. I went upstairs expecting to see at least an Alistair Crowley or, <laughs> or something. Well, they had one astrology book and one book on palmistry from 1902. Nice. Well, you cannot give a book on palmistry away. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I don't know how you would even promote something uh, like that. You know, 
Well, when you say today, when you say today, a cup of tea, I think we mean something uh, different to the younger generation. <laughs> well, I, I I happen to love the Strand. It is my favorite bookstore uh, in America, and um, I visit there pretty much every month. And I, I am a dedicated book buyer there. Um, any any of your listeners who are not familiar with a bookstore, an independent interesting, amazing place, which doesn't have um, lounge seats or uh, coffee for sale. Uh, right. You actually just have books, and um, it's four stories of them and a pretty yeah. amazing place. But I started to build my library, and I was amazed at how many goofy, nonsensical, off-the-wall books there were about things that I was looking for, things that were pragmatic, that, that, that you know appealed to my sense of... of logic and nuts and bolts thinking um, and there were bloody few of them and newspaper articles were much the same although it is ironic isn't it that so much of the coverage of the then much uh, maligned uh, appropriately so National Enquirer so much of their UFO coverage was accurate and well you know I was one I was one of their top stringers well there you uh, go that's why I, I, yeah well you know but they never used the name of the uh, the, the people who actually did the reporting <laughs> uh, I remember I remember one time I got a check a nice sizable check in the mail I, I mm. one time got a $1500 bonus because they Woo! used it on the on the front page of the uh, it was the headline story right and uh, uh, but I couldn't find the article in the newspaper, not the one on the headline, you know. But mm. and, and so I called him. And I said, "Well, I got a nice check here for the uh, the uh, article on so and so, but I can't find the story." And they said, "Oh, it's on page uh, six. And I looked. My eight page uh, report had been turned into about five paragraphs. <laughs> <laughs> right under the name of um, uh, uh, Brett yeah, who, Steele, uh, probably or... maybe Bill, uh, maybe even Bill Pratt, because he actually was uh, on the staff. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. That, okay. down there, right? But no, the, as far as uh, I could ever tell, uh, sure they uh, they've gotten sued a few times. What what newspaper hasn't come to think of it, right? Uh, but the UFO, the UFO and paranormal stuff. I, you know, I had to prov- provide them in some cases with actual tapes, uh, tapes of the interviews that I did with whoever. Uh, sure. uh, you know, I did a lot of celebrity interviews. Uh, that was one of the things that uh, we did. Uh, uh, and rags to riches, and uh, of course, uh, I ended up doing a book called the uh, UFOs Among the Stars, which had all those. Ex- oh, Soupy yeah. Sale, Soupy Sales had a UFO experience, and Tiny Tim, and. Uh, of course, Bill Shatner, who later claimed that he made it up, and uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, uh, just it was a uh, uh, Muhammad Ali. Uh, you know, I visited his. Yeah. Um, yeah, I um, uh, ran around the park with him in Central Park. He had a, a sighting there with Angelo Dundee, his trainer. And that is we went so cool. With, yeah, and we went to his training camp with Yuri Geller. And uh, whoa, was, those those were the those were the good old good old days, you know. And yeah. today it's actually even harder to investigate a UFO uh, uh, incident. And the reason it is, at least in those uh, that era, the articles were printed in the newspaper, and you had the names of the witnesses and where they lived and all. Now most of the stuff, uh, you know, it comes over the internet, and it's got yeah. some screen name to it, and you don't know whether it's real or not real, and you wouldn't yeah. know how to get in touch with the witness if you wanted to. Yeah. Well, what happened was um, some months into my quest for information, it was um, I think early '76. I I did a double take as going by a newsstand because the Village Voice, of all things, had a major UFO article. That's correct. And I did a double-double take because it was by a painter 
named Bud Hopkins, whose name I vaguely knew, living in the art world myself. I read it, and it was not just a fascinating case, the, as you know, Tim, the, the George, George Obarski, Obarski case. Yep. Um, it was a well-written article, and I thought, i got to meet this guy. And I, I got um, a copy of the New York, you know, you could go to a phone booth and open a copy of the New York phone directory, yeah. and there's only one Bud Hopkins, and I just cold-called him. And this is five years before he published his first book. I mean, yeah. he was just getting into it as well, and I introduced myself, told him I, I taught painting at the School of Visual Arts, showed with whatever gallery, and he immediately wanted to know what kind of work I did. And I, I was, of course, um, a very different generation uh, painter than he was. He was late abstract expressionist. I was minimalist, and he was not crazy about that, but he was fascinated <laughs> That it, sounds just like, it sounds like UFO research. Oh, just so. <laughs> it was great. And um, he was fascinated, though, that my sister had had an experience, and he, he did, was interested in talking about that. And he invited me over for coffee. And a few days later, I showed up at his door on West 16th Street. And, you know, I remember not long before he died, sitting at the same kitchen table and thinking about that first cup of coffee we had had there in 1976, and how I could have never imagined that this guy would go on to become one of my best friends, uh, a mentor, one of uh, the most influential people in my life, and how many hundreds of times I sat at that table with him. And um, that was really, um, we stayed in touch for the next years, and then everything changed in 1981 when he published Missing Time and became Bud Hopkins, the ufologist, um, right. as well as... Uh, a distinguished painter, which he remained for the rest of his life. And, now, um, now that, 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 fir that yeah. first book uh, actually made it to the to the top of the New York Times bestseller list. Well, it sure yeah. did, and it added a a new lexicon, a new phrase to the English language, missing time. I, I would believe also that it was the only time in history that there were two books on the New York Times bestseller list, being Communion being the other one. That's well, right. no, that, that was 87, and that was Intruders and Communion, Intruders, that's right. which came out about six weeks apart. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, let me ask you something, Peter. Did, yeah. In all the time that you, that you talked to Bud about these various topics, is there anything that he didn't go totally in-depth on in terms of what he thought was going on, or did he pretty much lay it all out in his books? Um... Well, in other words, was it was it even worse than he thought the situation was? The, was the situation even worse than he than he made it out to be? In other words, did he go as far as say David Jacobs does? Um, Bud had some real concerns um, about the depth of how I guess you could say the demographic. How many people this really affected, and. Nobody knows the stats on it, how many people out of how many people have had these types of experiences. Right. But over the years, we both came to feel that it was so prevalent that at the least, everybody that's not a hermit living in a cave knows at least one person in their life who has had an abduction-related experience or more likely experiences, because if it's happened to you, it right. has overwhelmingly likely happened uh, repeatedly on and off over your life. And it, it was just such an uncomfortable 
fact to try to put forward in an incredibly skeptical world where even the phrase itself, alien abduction, um, you know, was um, just a, 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 a reflexive term for major media and the great majority of dear folks who have been so deeply conditioned since the summer of 1947 to mm. know that this is nonsense, that, right. you know, we were struggling with enough stuff, as, as you guys know, in the, we'll, la- what we'll laughingly call the grown-up world, about <laughs> the take on this subject. I mean, the job that was done uh, on the people of the United States and, and, by extension, the Western world, beginning in the summer of 1947, um, grew to fascinate me so much that in the late 80s, when I had taken um, a break from working with Larry on Left at East Gate on the Rendlesham Forest case, not kind of a leisurely, gee, I think I'll do something else for a while, but I, I had gotten really quite frightened of what I had gotten myself into, and I backed out of that project for quite a number of months in 1988. But mm-hmm. I, I couldn't stop working, and what I turned my attention to was how did it come to pass that this ridicule factor became such an incredibly powerful and successful tool in destroying um, the ability of most people to even talk openly with right. people that they liked and respected. And so um, I, I, on and off over the next years, I did an extensive amount of research into how it all happened. And it's just a whole area of study that uh, I, I speak about sometimes and that I have written about. But... Um, I, I would say, you know, Dave Jacobs, uh, a lot of people in the field feel he's an extremist or put him down or whatever. Dave, Dave's research is Dave's research. It is what yep. he has gotten. And I have heard him end talks. I mean, the best people in the field have some really good dark senses of humor. You can't do this work without it. And I've heard him end talks over the years essentially saying, I don't like my data. I don't like what I'm seeing. I don't like what it indicates to me. Somebody show me I'm wrong. Somebody prove to me I'm wrong. I want to be wrong. Um, Bud um, appreciated and respected that, but I guess I'd have to characterize the data that he had as a little less dark. And what that indicates, I don't know, the same way... Well, it's not quite the same with Dr. Mack. John... Mac, who I thought was one of the kindest and most interesting and nicest people I've ever met. and I, I had a, a very warm friendship with him. I, I just thought he was such a terrific guy, and his loss is still being felt all these years later. Um, but John, his, his data was somewhat different because he, he was seeking more positive data. He was looking for more positive transcendence for experiencers. He had kind of given up on what we'll call the Western model um, years before, and his philosophy had more turned to the East. And so he just wasn't as... I mean, he had the compassion for people who, who had been traumatized by these events, but he felt that he would be of more value, and it was what is drove his passion in the work, that he was looking for more positive data. Um, Bud and Dave were just taking what they got. Um, I guess one could say, I I mean, there was a period of time when I would even hear people say, in the company of abductees, 
um, in a safe space like a support group with a new person. So, you know, are you a a, a Mac or a Hopkins abductee? Um, right. It just became, you know, a catchphrase for did you have a positive experience or a negative one? Right. Well, you, you know what, I, what I've noticed uh, over the years, I mean, this is one of my, my thinking on the subject, is, is that uh, there is so much information here that it's almost possible to make a case for a lot of different, uh, you know, mm. objectives here. And uh, it's like, you know, when it comes to the men in black, I get the reports because people know that uh, I'm interested in. They're not likely to, to uh, you know, call Bud Hopkins or, or, or somebody who, uh, you know, has expressed interest in some other... Everybody seems to gravitate towards, uh, you know, what either interests them or what uh, they have experienced. There's somebody out there who kind of will bolster your, you know, your beliefs or your experience on this. And I think that's why we have all so many different, you know, opinions and ideas and concepts and theories, uh, is because probably a lot of it is just uh, happening and... Uh, uh, you know, I, I say that this is uh, this may be preordained, and I know this may sound a little bizarre, mm. but I feel that we're all in this together. Yes. I mean, for some yeah. reason, we have been yeah. thrown into this sea of of, uh, of uh, UFOs, and uh, so we've got to kind of make the base the best of it. And perhaps there should be a little less, uh, you know, uh, backstabbing and jabbing and 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 so forth, because yeah, uh, our opinions differ. <laughs> our our opinions differ based on the information that we have uh, filtered. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, that's I tell you something. That is the thing that irritates me the most about this field. Is Tim, like you said, I mean, you know, the backstabbing, mm-hmm. the you know, I mean, it's just a crass behavior, uh, and, and, uh, unprofessional behavior. I mean, it's 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 yeah. like a schoolyard almost. And I mean, you know, you're dealing with people who are supposed to be adults, yeah. and yet, I mean, it's just uh, the, the things that some of these people say um, about each other. It's just like. <sighs> You know, it's a, you know, just grow up. It's territorialism. Yeah, yeah. At the same time, at the same time, there are times when appropriate criticism is the only way to go because there's a genuine uh, reason and rationale for it. But overall, yeah, um, the infighting gets a little bit silly and tiresome at times. Well, there's, you know, and, and I agree with you, Peter. I mean, you know, criticism, I mean, I appreciate when when I have my work criticized. I mean, you know, as long as somebody doesn't get, you know, personal and starts talking smack about my mama or something. Ah. But, you know, but, the, you know, there are a lot of people out there that, I mean, they just... <laughs> They just criticize just to be criticizing. You yeah. know, I mean, they don't have anything good to say. I mean, they just, you know, I, I think that that's where that they just get off on that. You that's know? a whole other thing. You bet. It you is, bet. yeah. Yeah, and, and a lot of them, I think it's just a matter of, uh, you know, uh, trying to see who's got the bigger dick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that would that would that would Did be. Did you say that on okay. the radio? <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's like, oh, I, I guess so. Actually, is that, that, that it's a matter of who has the smallest. <laughs> uh, so, you know, because well, the, whoever has the smallest is going to make the most. Oh, okay. Noise. Uh, so, negative uh, voice, I guess. I you you know, uh, Peter. Well, I guess you're best known. 
for your uh, investigation of the Bentwaters uh, incident, which mm-hmm. has gotten so much publicity, I think, in the last few years, that it almost has to be as well-known as, as uh, Roswell. Would you say yes. that? Yeah. I, I would say very close, and because it's a much more contemporary uh, event, it yes. happened in December of 1980, where Roswell is now, what, 67 years in the past, um, it's probably the best case overall that we still have to work with. Even the fact that it's coming on to 35 years now, it it has never been hotter, in part because new information continues to emerge. Um, Witnesses are um, in transition right now to some degree. In fact, next week um, in, uh, at the New England UFO conference, um, another one of the individuals who was not directly involved in those three nights, but was involved in a very close period of time, um, right in that time frame, and who was a law enforcement cop on Bent Waters, my friend Steve LaPlume is going to be um, our yeah. keynote speaker. Mm-hmm. And um, the only time he ever spoke in public was more than 30 years ago um, with Larry Warren on um, Larry's first or second talk. And um, Steve's experience of it and the impact it had on his life will be the subject of it. Um, Also, we've been thrown into another round of controversy earlier this year with the publication of a book by... um, the two best-known first-night witnesses, Jim Penniston and John Burroughs, and the very well-known uh, Nick Pope. And, in fact, um, I took such... Um, um, I, my take on Nick's writing in the book um, was so problematic for me that I did something I, I never expected to do in my life, never intended to do, and certainly had better things to do, which was I wrote a book about their book, and I did it um, between late March and early August, I would say a solid 700 or so dedicated focused hours. Um, My problems with some of the material that Nick presents to us in this book were... um, so intense for me that I felt I had to make um, an extremely impractical decision because um, the things that I was saying were so serious uh, about a colleague and somebody who I had considered a, a friend most certainly until I began to read his book that I didn't want anybody to even suggest that I had done it for um, any kind of profit motive. And so um, I published it in a rather unusual way through um, friends in in Manchester, England, and made it free to absolutely anybody that wants to read it. And once the manuscript was done, I, I forwarded it to a select number of colleagues, including Colin Andrews, who got right back to me, and said that Nick had essentially done the same thing to him, which was create an extraordinary um, disinformation around Colin's pioneering work on crop circles, and that Colin had written a book about his experience spontaneously, very much as I had, uh, a book called In Government Circles, a fascinating book. 
And um, he wrote the epilogue to my book, which is called Deliberate Deception, A Case of Disinformation in the UFO Research Community. And once it was done, I thought, you know, over 26 years that I've been involved in this case, um, the book took only almost a decade to write with Larry, and it was very gratifying to see the response that it got in England and to a, a great degree here in the States. But I realized that I was sitting on, from all the material we had collected over two and a half decades, certainly one of the largest databases on this particular case. And I asked Larry if it was okay with him if I added some of his service record um, and created essentially an appendix, which would include a huge photo section, but hundreds of pages, hundreds of pages of Rendlesham-related material making it the largest database on the case that will probably ever be made public, certainly at one time. And I invite any of your listeners and you guys as well to download and read the book. And all you have to do is go to the website of Phenomena Magazine. It's a terrific monthly that comes out of Manchester. It's published by Stephen Mira, a, a wonderful editor and writer. And it's right. free. It's a free paranormal monthly, and it's a damn yeah. good magazine. Oh, it is a good it magazine. Is, is, I good. contribute to it. Yes, yeah. indeed. Yes, oh, yeah. both do. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. A good friend of mine is actually the editor, editor uh, Brian Allen. That yeah, Brian's a great guy. Exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah. Brian and Steve write the foreword to my book, and what we arranged was that Phenomena Magazine would publish it as an extended special report, something they've never done in their history of publishing. So if you go to their webpage and you find the box on the page that says special reports, click on it, it will take you to a cyber shelf with seven book icons on it. That's the book. Download it in order. It's on your computer. It's 450 pages. Mm. And it addresses uh, my issues with... Um, the book that I wrote about, Encounter in Rendlesham Forest, and then it gives you and everybody else the largest working database ever made public on Rendlesham. In a funny way, it's actually a very good first UFO book. It's very little ET and an awful lot of um, extremely careful, specific analysis, and um, there is nothing about it that is generalized. I'm very proud of it. And I'm just sorry that I had to write it. But uh, I think it's an important book and one that I hope more and more people will be discussing as the months pass. Well, so you what know, has I, was, I, I was, a, um, I guess, uh, one of the first uh, uh, individuals to hear uh, Larry uh, tell his, uh, of his experience because yes. he, he indeed was the, uh, well, whistleblower. I guess that's kind of a catch-all uh, term, but... Uh, I was attending, I think it was 1985 or so, uh, a town hall meeting up in Brewster, New York, uh, that uh, Peter Gersten and yeah. uh, uh, Philip Brogno and I guess uh, uh, Dr. Heineck was there. It was about, yeah. of course, they had organized this because uh, the uh, sightings up in the Westchester, you know, this giant boomerang, a triangle yeah. uh, object. And Larry was there. He was a young man, and uh, he um, was uh, on the stairs of the high school, uh, the kind of the steps that went up to the 
the main building, uh, with a crowd of people around him, at least 40 or 50 people, uh, describing his, this incident, which seemed so bizarre at the time, because obviously it had not, it had not gotten any attention at all. I think maybe it was in Larry Fawcett's book, uh, under an assumed uh, uh, name or a different name. Uh, yeah, Larry and, and Barry Greenwood had assigned um, Larry Warren a pseudonym, um, which Larry was not crazy about, uh, of Art Wallace. But Art it's Wallace, so, yeah. yeah. It's so interesting that, that you remember that, Tim, because I share the same memory from another angle. It was, yeah. um, of course, an amazing town meeting at the high school auditorium there, and um, it was the beginning of the video revolution, so quite a number of people had shot footage of these things going over Westchester, and there was a break, and it was a beautiful uh-huh. afternoon. We were out there, I was smoking a cigarette, and I noticed kind of a knot of people, and I walked toward it, and it was this earnest young guy in the middle doing his best to answer questions, and after two or three questions... I knew it was that British case that we had all heard about a few months before, and this was that guy. And mm. at a certain point, somebody called from the door that we were going to get started again, and people went back into the building, and I waited until there was no one else around except him and me. And it's so interesting because Larry remembered it as well, and we didn't see each other for another four years. Uh-huh. And um, basically, I looked at him, he looked at me, I stuck out my hand, and I said, quote, unquote, good luck. And he shook my hand, and he yes. said, thanks, man. And four years later, um, it was the big um, uh, MUFON conference of 87 at Washington University, marking the 40th anniversary of Roswell, Kenneth Arnold, the model, modern age of UFO sightings. And Larry spoke on Rendlesham, but they cut him off. And you could see, I mean, he was one step away from steam coming out of his ears. And basically, he just said, well, they've just told me I have to stop. I'm going to go out in the hallway and finish my talk out there. If anybody wants to hear it, you know, that's where I'll be. Well, he and about he was a, a determined, determined yeah. young man Woo. indeed. Uh, in fact, a, you know, we published the first um, book on the subject here in the uh, United States by Jenny Randall, yeah. uh, which was right. picked up as a Berkeley paperback. And I've always out been fascinated. Yeah, yeah. Uh, fascinated with the, uh, you know, the uh, the incident. Uh, it's just a bizarre um, case, you know. And uh, interesting side note here, I also was the first uh, individual in one of my conferences, and I can't tell you the year, but Burroughs had just, John Burroughs had just gotten out of the military, and he was living in Phoenix. And we called him on the phone and said, that Larry Warren is giving a, a talk. Can you come down? And he came down, and the two of them, uh, spoke on the same stage. I mean, they uh, they debated each other, whatever they did. I, yes. I don't. Ha- I wish I had a copy of that. Uh, and of course, for uh, many years, uh, they were on. I guess you could say on the the outs. Where now, within the last month or so, they have seemingly become bosom buddies. Well, they certainly have broken through in a way that I found extremely moving. Um, for me, and I'll just be blunt about it here. Um, their former deputy base commander, Charles I. Hall, really um, set the tone to drive a wedge between Larry and Pennison and Burroughs. Let's face it, Larry Warren, in 82, when he went to Larry Fawcett, essentially told Fawcett everything that he remembered about the case, um, and it was with that information and only that information that Fawcett 
and Greenwood put together the Freedom of Information action that resulted in the release some months later of the Hall one-page document. But Hall's name immediately became public when the story broke in October 83, and it was not something, and I, I appreciate that it was not something that helped his career or was fun socially. You know, brother officers were having a little fun at his expense behind his back at times. His life was being intruded in his private life. And although Holt has always gone out of his way to say that he holds no animus toward Larry Warren toward that, I really don't buy that. And he did um, quite a job making sure that Larry would seem more isolated. These guys, in reality, all pass through aspects of experiences that should have made them true brothers-in-arms, like guys who had served yeah. in combat just about. Yeah. And in fact, Warren was the one who was always left out and portrayed well, to some now, degree. For a while, uh, Peter, for a while, wasn't it even claimed by Halt that Larry was not on the base? Oh, totally. Totally, that he wasn't involved. He was a wannabe. Yeah. When we first spoke, and I had heard through the grapevine after he retired in... I guess it was about 93, that he wanted to speak with me. And I had wanted to speak with him for years at that point, but um, I approached it, I had his number, and I laid out, you remember my apartment on 46th Street, Tim, uh, around oh, the yeah. corner from the UN. I laid out all my material, Larry's service record, the parts that I had on my desk, and I called him, and within two sentences he was saying he wasn't involved, he was a wannabe, I can prove it. I have documents that can prove it. And if you come to you know, down here, I'll show you. And Larry and I did come down some months later, and he just shut up. It was obvious that I didn't even put him on the spot and say, okay, let's see your documents. But the, those conversations are fully reproduced and left at Eastgate with Charles Hall's permission. And, oh, yes, he made all kinds of accusations, and to this day, even though he has said, including on national radio, on um, Paul and Ben Eno's oh, my uh, show. Buddy, my good buddies. I was yeah. just visiting them. I, I did a live show uh, from Woon, you know, the station up in Woonsocket. Oh, yeah, yeah. I got, I got so tired. I've done so many shows, like 500 shows in the, in the last, I don't know, 10 years or something. I haven't been in a radio studio. It's all done on the telephone. I, I know. <laughs> Isn't that wild? So I took, the train, I took the train up to Providence, and fact, uh, Paul picked me up, and yeah. we went to the radio uh, station and did the show, which I taped, and I'll put it up on YouTube uh, uh, shortly. And, you know, actually, I was discussing on the air there, I was on that station about 47 years ago, uh, maybe wow. a little bit longer. I don't remember the exact date. Uh, there was a fellow there that was at the station for 50 years. He did the noon broadcast. His name was Joseph Ferrier, and he was a silent contactee. He had photographs of UFOs that he took up in the Woonsocket area that put uh, Billy Myers' fake UFO pictures uh, to task. Wow. Uh, but he never talked. He never talked about it on the air because he was just the you know the the sure. noon noon guy. He was on for five hours a day, and he was at that station for fifty years. If anybody could find an old issue of Midnight, which became the Globe, you know the tabloid, there's a photograph of me uh, in there at the radio station with Joe on one mic and me on the other. I have a crew cut 
black corn rim glasses, Whoa. and I still have acne on my face. So I don't know how. <laughs> when I, think I don't of know you, how Jim, many. Uh, I think crew cut. That's that's <laughs> what I think. Yeah, you know, absolutely. I, I I cannot imagine when that picture was taken. I mean, it it had to be it, I, forty seven years ago, maybe maybe more than that. I I don't I don't know. It's just I wish I could find the uh, the paper. I know I have it here, but I've got forty or fifty file cabinets full of information and material. And I'm allergic to dust, and you know how books and newspapers, especially if they are 40 years old, can just be dust collectors. You pick them up, and it's like the Dead Sea Scrolls now. They're beginning to crumble in your hand. (laughs) Hey, gentlemen, um, it is time for us to go to our uh, next break here. So why don't we uh, stop right now and uh, do that. And when we come back, we can continue our conversation. That sounds good to everyone? It sounds good to everyone. All right, that's great. Okay, so I just want to remind our listeners that uh, you're listening to The Outer Edge on the PSN Radio Network. With us tonight is Mr. UFO Timothy Green Beckley and our very special guest, Peter Robbins. So we will be right back in just a few minutes, so please stay tuned for more. I would like to direct this to the distinguished members of the panel. You lousy corksuckers. You have violated my Fargan rights. This Samanambaching country was founded so that the liberties of common patriotic citizens like me could not be taken away by a bunch of Fargan ice holes like yourselves. Thank you. Remember, Future Theater could be heard every Monday night at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 7 p.m. Eastern, with your host, Bill, that's me and Nancy. Hi, Caramba. Burns, and we are broadcasting live right here on PSN Radio. Breaking the walls down. This is radio. This is what people want. To download the podcast, make sure you go to www.futuretheater.com. Up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's SupermanHomePage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. SupermanHomePage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. SupermanHomePage.com, for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the Man of Steel and more supermanhomepage.com mental disorders are common in the united states and internationally an estimate 26.2% of americans ages 18 and older suffer from some sort of mental illness now this figure translates to 57.7 million people who suffer from some sort of mental breakdown if you find yourself laying in bed on a sunday night hearing voices while you're trying to sleep well it might not be that demonic being from another dimension trying to kill you where you sleep might just be your mental illness starting to kick in. So if you're out of meds for the night, then I have just the thing. Come listen to my show, The Jackal's Head. You can check out our Listen Live page only on www.psn-radio.com. See you there. This ad has been paid for by The Jackal's Head and the War on Terror. War. 
It's fantastic. Four thousand seven hundred thirty-four UFO sightings in two thousand seven. Eight hundred fifty-four abductions by aliens or unknown species reported by American and British citizens. Hundreds more unreported in 2007. Suppressed information about collisions with passenger aircraft and UFOs that has been kept from the public knowledge for years, and only one trusted source on information from some of the top UFO researchers in the world. Exclusive information that cannot be found anywhere else on the planet. Trusted, connected, accurate. TheUFOStore.com. Expand your personal library with fast shipping and instant. Downloadable information from the largest selection of UFO products on the internet by going to theufostore.com or call on the 24-hour, seven-day-a-week order line at 541-523-2630. The truth is out there, and theufostore.com has it. to the Outer Edge Radio with William Michael Mott and Tim Schwartz only on PSN Radio. That's right. Thank you, Jackal. You are listening to the Outer Edge. I'm Tim Schwartz. With me tonight is Mike Mott, Tim Beckley, and Peter Robbins. Uh, the, uh, uh, the music that you were listening to just before we came back was uh, by, let's see, what was what was that song again here? Uh, um, um, I, I had it on here for just a second. <laughs> it was by Not, Demi Demery anyway. Demi Demery. Well, it was called Perfect Storm. 
by okay. Demi Demery. Yeah, I'll have to explain. You know, when uh, when I play the music um, using our, uh, our our audio software here, after you sign out of it, it then disappears off of my queue. So I have to like pull it back up again. So well, yeah, it's, uh, perfect storm seems to be a very appropriate title for the uh, UFO field and this case that we're talking about this mm. evening. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, c- continue your conversation. It's uh, to to me that's absolutely fascinating. Well, let me ask this, uh, Peter. Now, a lot of yeah. uh, a lot of folks say that uh, you know Larry seems to have uh, uh, gotten a lot more, if they want to describe it that way, out of uh, Bent Waters than those that were uh, of the other witnesses. Do you do you think? Now, I know before he was even in the service, he did ha- did he had not have some interest in the, in the paranormal? I I think he had a, a, a house or a haunted house experience or something. I mean, is, do you think that he was drawn to this? There's even some feeling that maybe everybody uh, was drawn to it, that they were there for a purpose or reason or it was preordained. Do you give any stock to that at all? Yeah, um, I would say that falls into the realm of educated speculation, really. But Larry had had some genuine paranormal experiences, including UFO-related, certainly one at least with his mother, Joanne. Um, and this is, you know, a, a very straight Boston lady who, um, in an interview that Bud did with her years ago, um, described the inside of the craft that she had been in. Um, so I, I, I still don't know how to answer that question, and that certainly is one for Larry and, and not for me. But um, he and other men may well have... There, there might have been something overriding this. One thing that has always disturbed me is that on the night in question that he was involved, the third night, um, when they went out into the forest and ultimately into the farmer's field known as Capel Green, they were ordered to surround a self-contained, oval-shaped, self-illuminated ground fog um, and the procedures seemed very set. One could even deduce that there was a possibility that the Air Force had some idea of what they were sending these men into to confront. Uh, again, even after all these years, for me, that remains purely speculative, but it's not out of the question. Well, now, Peter, this even always amazed me, and I don't think we ever talked about it at length, but... Mm-hmm. The first time you showed up at Rendlesham Forest with Larry, you had sightings and experiences of your own? Oh, yeah. The first well, night... Describe that in, in detail, because I don't think you ever have, uh, as far as I can recall. Well, actually, it, it is not only all in the book, but I, I was a very earnest investigative writer um, starting out on my first book-length project, and so on that trip, I didn't go anywhere uh, without two micro-cassette recorders with new batteries and a tape in each one. So we actually audio recorded that event as it was happening to us. It was a multiple UFO sighting, not a 100 yards or so from the perimeter of RAF Bentwaters. And it was shattering. It involved um, unknowns that were no bigger than the size of stars zipping around in zigzags in the skies at times, 
fully articulated discs, one which dropped right down into the forest and let it up, lit it up like, you know, rows of Hollywood premiere lights. Um, I, I'm sure at a certain point I went into shock. And finally, an object appeared at the far end of the field that we were standing at. It was an extremely unsettling experience. And one, you know, Larry had told me that we'd see something while we were there. And in fact, walking out to the base, we were joking a bit uh, about what I had thought was a weather um, satellite, you know, just clicking along in its own boring way, until it stopped, pulsated, had a color change, did a few zigzags, and just shot off into nowhere. Um, I, I thought that that was going to be the high point of the trip. Little did I know what was facing us a little later that evening. I mean, we were still jet-lagged. We had come in from London um, the day before and from New York uh, the day before that. And I can only say even to this day, it was so upsetting to me that Larry actually apologized and said, you know, handle this any way that you want and I'm okay with it. And I thought, well, I only have three choices. I can ignore it, but that would be an absolute lie by omission. I can say, oh, on our first night there, we saw 30 UFOs and go on to the next paragraph. That wouldn't wash either. And so when we got back to, when I got back to New York, one of the things that I, I tasked myself with was to put on the headphones and listen and listen and listen to those tapes. The wind ripped across the top of the mic to such a degree that it was rather dramatic sounding with uh, an awful lot of um, um, disturbance. Um, but I, I recreated um, that series that night, those conversations in the transcripts in the book at that point. I think it runs about 18 pages or so. Um, And, you know, Larry had said to me at some point, how do you feel about thinking that, you know, on some level that might have been staged to, you know, um, affect you? And my first thought was, how dare you even suggest something so silly but over the intervening years, you know what? I don't know. But it's all in the book. And for the record, those original first-generation micro-cassettes have been put through voice stress analysis twice over 12 years by two completely independent individuals. And what they, can, what they were able to say was that the stress in our voices was absolutely real. In other words, we could have been the best trained actors in the world. But why would you want to do that? I mean, I've had people actually say to me, how cool for you, you know, having something like that happen, you know, when you go over for, you know, uh, to do research on it. I said, think again. Our first, <laughs> our, our first night of our first visit? And I, I write about it in the book. I said I actually had a moment where I thought maybe I should say it happened on the third night, and I caught myself. And I realized, you know... If you lie once, you're a liar, and it doesn't matter if it's in the service of a greater truth. And I have always That's followed right. that 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 line of thinking. I cannot, my I you know from when I I started in the 1970s, I have followed a few basic rules. One is have no agenda ever when you go into a new case investigation. And when I say case investigation, it could be you know, nine years um, uh, dedicated to the Rendlesham case, 
the six years that I've worked with Bud Hopkins on um, Linda Cortile's uh, Brooklyn Bridge UFO abduction case, or 10 minutes spent quietly in a hotel lobby speaking with somebody who wanted to tell me about an experience that they had had. You go in with no agenda. You follow the evidence wherever it goes, and you always tell the truth. And those are the rules I've always followed. There's a case you mentioned, Linda. That's that's very, very controversial, and uh, a lot of the people just think that it's it's not legit. What's your feeling on it? It's it's controversial to those who are, are not knowledgeable about it. I was the person who actually opened and read Linda's letter to Bud in the spring of 1989. Um, she came in fairly recently after that, but I didn't meet her until like November of 89 or so. And for the next six years, I worked with Bud researching, investigating, following up with a lot of due diligence on that case. And for me, um, not only is it absolutely rock solid, and I think Bud's work as an investigative writer in Witness, the true story of the Brooklyn Bridge uh, UFO abductions, is him at his finest. Um, I think it's the most important multiply witnessed abduction case that we have, and I, I'd stake my reputation on it in a second. Hmm. Well, I tell you, the thing that kind of always bothered me about that case, uh, I know the area is somewhat where the incident took place. You would have thought that there would have been many, many more witnesses to it. Than there well, are. yes and no. Um, I think 22 witnesses came forward and allowed Bud to use parts of their accounts and the drawings that they did. That was another really fascinating aspect of the story. Remember, this is 2 o'clock in the morning, but it is Manhattan. Now, when you think about the demographic of people who have a UFO sighting, how many of them do you feel really will call their local police department or make a report to MUFON or something? It's probably a fairly modest percentage. The fact that so many people did was really impressive to me. And there's another aspect to this. Some people have even accused Linda of um, lying or somehow manipulating facts. That is not Linda. And one envelope after another started arriving with accounts from people who had seen parts of this from different points in Lower Manhattan, from the FDR Drive, from uh, the area near the New York Post. One potential witness that has uh, never come forward, he was uh, a very well-established and known Australian uh, reporter who worked at the New York Post for many, many years. Do you know who that is? Mm -hmm. Um, Steve Dunleavy? Oh, really? Um, I'm not sure, but I think so. And that is... uh, I think so. Don't hold me to it, but I think so. But what I'm saying is, you know, there is a psychology to people who have seen something profoundly anomalous, who then, you know, they're going on with their lives, but they become obsessed with it in their own way. And so many of them, Tim, sent Bud drawings. And as two trained artists looking at the work 
of so many untrained artists, one of the things that struck us was how similar and how laboriously careful these drawings were done with the same color sequences, with the same schematics, and every one of them, the handwritings were different, the postmarks were different. Um, if you could do a psychological analysis of the letters, I'm sure it would confirm that there was nothing duplicitous about this, that they were different people indeed. And for me, that was one of the most moving and powerful aspects of the physical evidence surrounding this. Um, then there's the matter of the x-ray of Linda's implant, um, which is one of the wildest ones. It's a poor reproduction in the book, but I had my hands at certain times on the actual physical x-ray, and it was a knockout. And um, once it had shown up in the x-ray, Linda had um, made plans to have it surgically removed. And it never got surgically removed. It was removed before that surgery was done. One night it was there, and the next morning it was not. Huh. So what, uh, what, was, uh, what was so different about this uh, particular implant? Well, um, I'm, it, it literally had, as I recall, a coil coming off of it, and my memory of the actual x-ray was that it looked a bit like a watch spring, and it was way the hell up in the nasal cavity. It was something that no one could have or any sane person even would have even attempted to fake, and that is a location um, that is not uncommon with abductees. In fact, um, a profound memory I have of childhood was the night that um, my sister, who had asthma and hay fever and allergies and would occasionally have sneezing fits, sneezed hers out. And it caused, I mean, she woke up, my parents woke up, and at a certain point I woke up. And, you know, as a kid rubbing her eyes, wandering into the bedroom, um, there she was looking rather pale, and um, her pillowcase was covered with blood. And uh, they put her in the car and took her to, I believe it was a second cousin of my mom's, who was an ear, nose, and throat guy out in Garden City, uh, again, out on Nassau County, uh, east of you. And his question to Helen was, did you ever stick a pencil up your nose? Hmm. Um, and no, I never did. And um, all he could do was deduce what somebody without the knowledge or background would do that Somehow this must have been, and Helen remembered seeing that thing in her tissue. It was like a BB. It was calcified. It had like almost a pearlized kind of coating on it. And before you ask if she kept it, I mean, this was a kid who just went, ew, and threw it in the trash. But the memory of that night was something that became part of our family history for me. And that is hardly um, a singular account. I've documented many such accounts over the years. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, do you think that there is, this program has been done? I, yeah, I've always had this feeling, you know, we talk about creationism and Darwinism yes. and all yes. this. Like, that, uh, you know, we're somebody's uh, lab experiment. Yes, Did you give that's right. Credibility to that? Well, you know, that is the, that is the big question, Tim. In the old days, when people were first starting to even talk about this in the field, 
And as you remember, in the late 70s, the early 80s, it was considered, oh, you know, why even bring it up? Um, as, as Jacobs had said at one point, you know, at that point in the history of ufology, we were focused on the license plates and not thinking about the drivers. And for me, you know, it was referred to when people were taken aboard as experimenting. Well, there's no, there was no experimenting. There was a program in effect. That program has been going on for decades, if not decades upon decades now. I remember one of the most moving pieces of um, abduction-related evidence that I've ever seen was from about 1900. And it was from the grandparent of an abductee that was working with Dr. Jacobs, as I recall, who gave Dave a Xeroxed page from about from that, that individual's diary or journal describing the event from around the turn of the century. And the wording may have been different, but the reality was the same. And the whole hybrid phenomena, which, you know, we can discuss at great length in the uh, five minutes we have left, right, in, right. Is, is directly attached to that. Where are these hybrids? What is this program about? Are we going to experience some major shift at some point when all of this, you know, takes a turn? Um, I find it extremely unsettling. And, uh, you know, after all of these years in the work, I realize I don't know a damn lot. I I know um, that something is going on, that we're not alone, that, you know, Charles Fort, um, who really is the godfather of so much of paranormal studies, theorized in the 1920s or 30s, are we somebody else's pets? Or, you know, if we are a graduate school experiment, I don't mm-hmm. think they're going to pass the course. Um, we've yeah. got a big series of problems and questions facing us relative to this subject. Mm. Do you think uh, you there'll know, ever I be almost, disclosure? Well, well guys, I almost see this as we're being manipulated, used, robbed of genetic material, robbed of a lot of things, because there's a lot of sadism involved in this process. I mean, if these were advanced beings from far, far away, they could come and get whatever they needed, and we would never even wake up or know they were there. It's a very obvious uh, um, conditioning program that's going on where you will tolerate this, you will like it, we're here to help you see, oh, it hurts, but yeah, we're empathic, we're telepathic, but yeah, we know you're scared and terrified, and we know the pain we're causing you. But oh, look, we're your friends. This is Pavlovian conditioning. Well, and it, Donald, and it, look, it creates a Stockholm syndrome in a lot of the people who are the victims of it. Yes, and at the same time, um, as somebody who came up through the ranks as seeing this as um, a genuine problem in the lives of the people overwhelmingly that I've dealt relating to the subject, I also acknowledge that there are people that have had very positive experiences. Now, is that a matter of their innate attitude or conditioning or the way that they see life? Or, you know, we're dealing with a number of different thems as well. And experience, is it voluntary? If it's not voluntary, then on the surface of it, you have to say... How much of this is them trying to cope with what happened to them? How much of it is a Stockholm Syndrome type uh, um, identifying with their tormentor? You know, that type of thing. 
Well, that, that's another great question, um, and one we're certainly not going to be able to settle or go into much this evening. The right. fact is, we're not alone in the universe. I, I am convinced that there are a number of thems that are interacting with us. Right. Some of them may be very um, benevolent or want to assist our primitive species, whose main preoccupation is still drawing lines in the dirt, and killing each other, uh, based on which side you're on, of identifying themselves as the other. Um, you know, that, that marvelous allegorical statement, when you came down to it, um, that Ronald Reagan wrote himself into his United Nations address uh, in the 80s for the General Assembly. Uh, I, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, but I often wonder, what if we realized that we were facing, you know, another intelligence in space, wouldn't we then come together and see ourselves right. as human beings first? He did something... I think he said a threat not of this world, not of this earth. Yes, yes, and he also did something very clever because we all knew that Reagan knew, and he had had his own profound sighting um, as governor uh, from the governor's plane uh, years before, and I think it was his way of wanting to go on record for posterity. At the same time, at that point, you know, he segued and said, but there is already an alien presence among us. It's, it's poverty, it's ignorance, it's blah, blah, blah. And I thought, very elegant segue there, Mr. Reagan. Um, <laughs> the fact is that our governments, um, not our governments plural, because there are a number of them in the world that really are much more open than we are. As far as disclosure goes, I am one of those people who feel that our government is never going to be honest with us or declassify what it has unless and until their hand is forced. And yep. that may come with some kind of WikiLeaks type of uh, disclosure or an Ellsberg Pentagon Papers type or maybe a serious focus of anomalous photographs of structures on the moon or something. Or I, I feel even the, the medical uh, issues there with the bedwaters. I mean, that seems more likely that uh, someone in, in Congress or in government would uh, get behind uh, because uh, here these the fellows are not able to get the medical attention that they deserve. Yes, that may uh, have something to do with it. But you know, Tim, I didn't even get into the phenomenal amount of physical evidence surrounding the exact location in Capel Green. Um, where Larry had his, um, and the men with him, had their third night's experience. The, the testing that was done on that soil revealed phenomenal physiological changes, including the fact that the sand in the soil in that area, as opposed to the rest of the field, had melted. Um, that's all in um, my new book, and it's also in, I believe it's included in, uh, the updated version of Left at Eastgate. You know, we're, we're running it down on the minutes here. Uh, why don't you tell us where you'll be uh, speaking in the next uh, you know, month or so and yeah. what else you've got planned. And Glad do, to. You don't have a website, is that correct? I don't right now. I'm hoping yeah. to have one up in the next few months. People uh -huh. can always, uh, if you're on Facebook, visit me there. I post wherever I'm going to be. Next weekend, I'm going to be in Lemonster, Massachusetts for the second annual um, uh, New England UFO conference, which I'll be hosting as well as speaking at uh, the weekend of November 5th. I'm very proud to be um, 
somebody who has been working with Travis Walton for more than three years on his first conference. It's going to be called the Skyfire UFO Summit, and that's going to be taking place uh, over that first weekend with a little overlap in November. And at the end of November, I'm going to be at the 6th International UFO Congress in Brazil, and that's pretty much my uh, wow. appearances for the rest of the year. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. Big Rio, 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 here we come. Oh, no, my well, gosh. You know, <laughs> <laughs> hey, it pay, sometimes it pays to be a ufologist. Although I have heard cases where people years and years ago, somebody put on a UFO conference. I think it was in Costa Rica, and nobody had a return ticket. Oh, no. Oh. I was hearing about that one. I remember. No. Some of them are still there. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Uh, I always insist on that return ticket. Ah, uh, you got to do it. you got to do it, yeah. Three yeah. weeks ago, I spoke at a wonderful little conference in Italy. Um, uh, three weeks before that in, in West Yorkshire. Um, again, the money in this field sucks, but the people yeah. you get to meet yeah, really. and occasionally the places you get to go, holy moly. Well, you, you know, we've got to, somebody's got to follow you around with a camera and record all of this and, and make a documentary about your uh, you career. Well, na- now you can, you know, you strap a GoPro onto me like a cat and, you know. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I think that's just well, we can, and, and you can go And you can go out as long as you don't <laughs> use the, uh, the, night, the night vision. I hate that. I refuse to watch a show that is recorded, you know, uh, for an hour in night vision. Yes. Or even <laughs> even worse, with a camera, like looking right up the person's nose. Uh, <laughs> I hate those. Strapped, strapped over your head, going through a sewer. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm so scared. <laughs> well, uh, gentlemen, we are out of time, so I want to thank everyone for being with us tonight. Uh, yeah, uh, Peter, it was, it was a great pleasure having you on, and I hope uh, you can come back again uh, real soon. And uh, uh, Tim, uh, why don't you uh, tell us once again uh, what's uh, where's your, uh, your your YouTube site? That, oh, the uh, YouTube channel. Yeah, we've we've here. got some good stuff on there. Uh, just go to YouTube and type in Mister UFO's Secret Files. The one on the Tom Dongo uh, interview that I did out in Sedona has got almost a thousand views uh, now, and uh, the one with Peter is is pushing up there, and they're all really they're interesting. I mean, you know, people say, "Oh, the camera shakes and uh, this and that and the other thing." It's free, baby, and uh, you know, I, I travel around. It, it, I have no crew. I travel around with my camera and my tripod uh, in my uh, suitcase, and I take it. Where wherever you know I I go, and uh, darn it, it's uh, it's good stuff. Somebody said he knows the questions to ask. There you go. So there you go, Mister <laughs> UFO do. Secret Files. All <laughs> right, you, well, baby. that's right. Uh, it's okay. Uh, so, uh, gentlemen, again, thank you very much, Mike. Uh, yep. a pleasure uh, being with you again tonight, and to everyone out there who's listening. You've been listening to the. Outer Edge. I'm Tim Swartz. Be sure to tune in this time next week for more interesting stuff. So from all of us, good night, and we'll see you all again some other time really soon. If you want to get a thrill, if you want to see the sights, jump right in. I got an unidentified flying object. Yeah! Go for a spin, we're going UFO. 
shots of fire We glide across the skies Nobody will believe their eyes Just when they think they've seen us We zoom away to Venus One moment we're in Mexico Like that we're over Idaho Just tell me where you wanna go In my UFO We're going UFOing Believe their eyes. 